The following episode contains extremely graphic material. Listener discretion is advised. In part five of our exclusive series, the miscreants are finally captured. What happens next is cemented in the California history books. The unexpected, but always feared. Police work, they call it about uh, eight hours of boredom, uh, pierced by about one second of terror. It's January 17th, 1994, at 4.30 in the morning. The streets of downtown Los Angeles are ghostly quiet. A calm has rested the streets after a rare Hollywood-style gun battle outside the Hall of Records government building. Reno, Nevada, Detective Dave Jenkins and his partner have landed in Los Angeles to take custody of their hunted killers. Alvaro Calambro and Duck Wen surrendered to police after a nine-hour standoff. They walked outside the bullet-riddled Hall of Records building and released their young hostage, a single mom named Veronica. Just as Jenkins starts to interview Duck in a small interrogation room at the LAPD headquarters, chaos of godlike proportions strike. <laughs> We're here in the Channel 4 newsroom, as you folks, there's no surprise for any folks this morning, we've been hit with a major earthquake. Half the newsroom behind me has been disheveled, a lot of television monitors knocked off the shelves. Live here at Fairfax in the 10 freeway, this of course is an area that collapsed. And we can see the damage, the buckling, My, thank heavens nobody was on this freeway as they were traveling to work this morning. The overcrossing of the southbound 14, as you can see here, has actually collapsed and pancaked. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in that truck or in that Winnebago-style vehicle when the freeway literally dropped away? In this moment, the Northridge earthquake shakes Southern California and crumbles a portion of it down to rubble, with multiple fires igniting everywhere from the force of the 6.7 earthquake. It was the always feared and whispered big one. It actually occurred uh, at 4.30 in the morning uh, during the course of our interview. In the middle of it, uh, Detective Jackson and Detective Adol were in a room with him. We were sitting next to him listening uh, to the interview as it progressed uh, when the earthquake hit. And, uh, and that was certainly an unusual occurrence because uh, the... It seemed like that earthquake on the third floor uh, lasted for a a very, very long time. And uh, John and Joe and I had gotten underneath a table. And I remember distinctly that that table was vibrating across the floor away from us. And we had to hold onto the legs uh, to keep it over the top of us. And that uh, computers were falling onto the floor and you could hear breaking glass uh, down the hallway. And I remember uh, struggling to get the the handcuffs on him in the interview room uh, because it was dark, the power had gone off, and going down the stairway uh, by the light of a big lighter. I remember them telling me that they, the elevators didn't work, so they walked down 13 flights of stairs, they walk out, everything's pitch black, but they see fires and sirens going off all over Los Angeles. 
and it had to look like some movie in Hollywood of what was going on. And here they have two stone cold killers in their custody and they can't book them in jail. Not knowing what we might see outside uh, because the, the earthquake had been so big, I fully expected to see buildings crumbled all around us. But uh, I remember Detective Jackson complaining uh, as we were running down the stairs about how old Parker Center was and how he was amazed that the building hadn't collapsed on itself. We got out into the parking lot and uh, waited uh, some period of time before we could uh, get access to a, another police vehicle. We may have um, physically restrained Duck by handcuffing him to something in the parking lot. Uh, where, and we didn't want to be in a building, so we were in a parking lot outside Parker Center, uh, a police parking lot, a secured parking lot. And I recall that we had probably physically attached him to some immovable object there while we were waiting. The detectives are texting me the whole time, giving me updates, and I don't hear anything about this, but I remember all the light in Reno blinked because uh, I was up, uh, but up in Reno when all this happened with the other detectives. And we didn't think much of it until we saw on the news that a major earthquake had hit Los Angeles. Detective Jenkins says when the earthquake rattled the building and they were under the interrogation table taking cover, Duck never once showed a hint of fear. He smiled a lot. Uh, he never appeared to, to really be frightened. Uh, he was pretty calm and collected. Uh, he never showed a whole lot of emotion outwardly uh, during any of the times I had contact with him. His brother-in-law, Alvaro, was being held in the police ward of a local hospital for his foot injury. After clearing the perimeter he was stationed to, LAPD officer Blake Chow had just returned home after a long night at the Hall of Records building. I went back home and I was living in Orange County at the time and I remember feeling this earthquake just shook the house. And having lived my whole life in California, that house shook so much, I remember realizing, um, well, that's a big one, because you don't usually feel them like that. And then I got the phone call, you guys have to be back at work at 6 a.m. We, uh, it's because they had, I think they had mobilized us, if I remember, they brought everybody in. And um, I remember uh, seeing on the news as I was coming in, a lot of the devastation up in the valley with, you know, an apartment building that had collapsed, uh, a Kaiser Permanente Hospital. <clears throat> the whole side of the building had collapsed. Part of the freeway had collapsed upstairs. So they mobilized us and put us uh, four to a car from downtown. And we actually went up to the valley. We worked. A whole apartment complex had just collapsed on top of the parking structure. And there were all these cars that had been flattened to probably about three feet in height. Um, we, we were assigned there, but I remember driving in and we we're having a whole bunch of aftershocks too it wasn't just the one earthquake and there was a portion of the valley where there's this uh like a mountain that's kind of they call it you know it's kind of like it's like rocks and i remember every time we would have an aftershock you would see the dust because they were pretty strong you would see the dust kind of floating up from this huge mountain like like some giant hand had shaken that thing 
and was dislodging all this dust. It was really kind of surreal. And then, of course, you know, every time we'd get an aftershock, you know, we were looking around to make sure that there was nothing above us. As you, as you look out your window, it's probably pitch dark right now. Oops, hang on one second. This is a very sharp aftershock. That pile right there, the first pile you come to is where they're at. It's the hard rumble, and all of a sudden, smash! The Northridge earthquake leveled buildings and several freeways. It caused 72 deaths, and more than 800 people were injured. Officer Chow recalls an odd occurrence for Los Angeles. After the quake, there was no looting. Fear kept crime opportunists away. It was weird. There wasn't chaos. <clears throat> there was, um, it was kind of, I would describe a, a, a very surreal feeling out on the street, along with like shock. I think people were just in shock that this huge earthquake had happened and these buildings had collapsed. And you know, a lot of people stayed home, obviously, because they heard about the earthquake, but it was more a feeling of, surrealness coupled with like with shock there weren't people there I, I don't remember people looting or or anything like that it was really kind of this very eerie feeling because the streets were relatively quiet too because people didn't didn't come into los angeles to me there was an awful lot of damage uh, there were uh, collapsed buildings uh, and the roadways were detoured ever uh, at every turn it seemed like you were facing another detour and it kind of had a surrealistic uh, feel to it, and there was virtually no highway traffic, no vehicular traffic, things that pretty much come to a, a standstill. Yet the Reno detectives had to maintain control of their captured killers. Ultimately, we had uh, gone over uh, to the hospital to talk to uh, Alvaro Colombro and to interview him about his participation. And during that incident, I was struck that all the detectives were gone from every building. Everybody was out on the street. Everybody was in uniform. Uh, it was a 100% mobilization. Uh, I also remember, and uh, my wife, my lovely wife, reminds me from time to time that uh, the phones had gone down in the police station, so there was no communication. She wasn't even aware I was in Los Angeles uh, until she called my sergeant that next morning to ask, you know, when I might be coming home. And uh, my sergeant explained to her that uh, I was in Los Angeles and not in Reno. Dave Jenkins couldn't call his wife. Phone lines were down across much of Los Angeles. He, his partner, and their two captured killers were no longer a priority for California law enforcement. We truly were bumped to the bottom of the priority list at that point, and understandably so. Uh, that was a a horrible, horrible tragedy. And, and just driving across town, the devastation from that earthquake was pretty, pretty apparent. But we uh, uh, couldn't get flights out of town. We couldn't, uh, there was no transportation. Uh, that was before uh, our reliance on cell phones. So none of us had cell phones immediately. We, and the phones in the police station were all out. So it was, it was a, a challenge to communicate with the outside world. They continued on, doing their jobs, trying to secure Alvaro and Duck while getting answers as to why the men inflicted such savagery. It was an extensive, 
tail-spinning interrogation of the men. It all played out in recorded police interviews that are being heard publicly for the first time. A rare look started with Duck Wynn telling Detective Dreer, even though it was his vendetta, he wasn't the one who murdered Peggy and Keith, it was his brother, Alvaro. With Duck's Vietnamese accent and the interviews being done on a VHS recorder, at times it can be a little hard to hear, but you'll definitely hear and feel the magnitude of their vicious crimes. You know I kidnapped, kidnapped and sued the police because I, I heard I, I, I'm a human. The boy don't do nothing to me. I have to tell you the truth. If I don't tell you the truth, now I come back, you know, you don't know nothing. Okay, where, where the finger pen, where the gun, where nothing. I don't have nothing. How you got me? <laughs> we had it all here, buddy. I know, I know, I know. But, but one thing, I go to court. If I got something, I will yell long time. If the boy don't do nothing. I know that you didn't, you didn't hit him with a hammer. I know you didn't hit him with a crowbar. I don't like you. I don't like with another guy because you guy nice. Tell you the truth. What you want to tell? Tell me. You, you want? What you want? I want you to tell me the truth. When you left the U-Haul, did you think that Barry was going to kill those people? No. Now you do whatever you want. What did you? When you said that, what did you think it meant? You, you said, don't hurt the boy. We don't need your permission to go with the death penalty on this case. This was the most cold-blooded, ruthless killing that I understand that because... So that you don't give a damn about Peggy. There was three people that are dead because of you, Duck. Three people. And I'd like to hear what God has got to say about you right now. <laughs> but I don't want to go out no more. I told you, I give mad Peggy. I give mad Peggy. I tell you the truth. The boy don't do nothing to me. I feel sorry because he cold-blooded, cold blood. She was killed in Peggy was killed in Cobra. Just like the boy. She had a goddamn stake driven through her head. And Peggy the chewing. Duck says he didn't want to harm Keith, that he was young and innocent. He says he walked out of the building to have a smoke when Alvaro did the killings. But he uttered the words, no evidence can be left behind. So they're under this weird opinion that if you kill everybody, you're not going to leave any evidence. It's not as if uh, we're that stupid out there, but that's their mental set at the time that we can just go ahead and do everything. And if we destroy evidence, nobody will ever um, come down on us. We can just, we'll get away with everything because we're not leaving any evidence of any crime. Why did you leave the business and leave them in there then? I mean, what did you think was going to happen? Dude, we're trying to treat you halfway decent here. I'm okay, telling right. you the truth. You no, say I one think, thing and... I tell you the truth. I worry about Leah, right? I tell you. You knew he was going to kill him. No. You know he was a gangbanger. He never said he'd kill people. No. He told us today he killed people. Where? In California. No, no, no. He don't say that. You knew he was going to kill him. He killed a penny, cold blood. I don't like it. I don't hear a gunfire. When he opened the door, you see the blood. It's the blood. He said, okay, go, go. He told me, go. Right somewhere now. Was he excited? No. He just said, go. Maybe I look for it now. What did you say to him? Why don't you say anything? I told you I would be back. Here you have a woman that caused you to lose your job. I know you didn't shoot her, but I know that you went into that business like knowing that you were going to kill Peggy you who you were. How do you think you were going to get away with it? We take money, we, we go California. Peggy knew you. The boy, he said, take money, take everything you want. Why? What else did he say? He said, I have a family? I'm scared of that, but I told, I told my man, don't do nothing to boy. Not only did Duck Hunt participate in that, and he's trying to weasel out of that when he's talking to the detectives down in L.A., paying 
uh, um, Alvaro is the evil person that he is, Doc kind of also participated in that. We gathered that out of ta talking to Maria. And that takes a long time in that interview before she starts saying what Dakan's rule was. Duck was 39 years old, the elder of both Maria and Alvaro, who looked up to him. It was Duck who planned, plotted, and mapped out the U-Haul robbery and payback for his co-worker disrespecting him. Instead of owning his vengeful acts, he rats out his 20-year-old brother-in-law, Alvaro. He showed his, his hand, the blood, you murder Alvaro talks to Detective Ron Dreer with much less resistance. He starts from the beginning, saying he joined a gang called SIG with the S standing for Satan. Members had to suffer a handburn to join with rituals of drinking the blood of others, even animals. Alvaro at times is difficult to understand, but Detective Dreer repeats his words as evidence for his trial. We never drank blood. When they drank blood, where did, whose blood did they drink? Uh, all of them were driving, dripping. What's your relationship with Doc? Doc said, you know, don't go with Doc because he makes trouble. Did you talk about your gang? No, no, because of my friends and my friends. And you know you're part of the gang? Yeah. You get together with Doc at that point, correct? Mm -hmm. And he yeah. wants to get rich fast. Uh, yeah. When did you discuss robbing things? Mm -hmm. uh, I told him to buy a U-Haul. A U-Haul? He's going to die young and he wants to leave something to his sister, mm -hmm. to your sister, mm -hmm. Leah? Mm -hmm. Am I right? Yeah. Okay, because it's a little difficult understanding these. Okay, so I mean, I'm, so slow down just a little bit, okay? So what happens? He wants to leave something to your sister. He wants to get rich fast. That's his business, so I go on this and I go to the time. Talk about myself. Okay, talk about yourself. Did you have a gun? Uh, the gun is for uh, someone else who buys for them. Okay, but 
but who had the gun? Uh, what we used to expect it to do? Something big, but then, well, just they want to go out, just no, 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 no. Okay. And so I started doing something else. There was a guy that this guy know, and he had to five thousand, but take the money, you know, and then like, I just shoot everyone. You went there. No, don't tell no one, but I mean you. What are you supposed to do with you? What do you talk about planning? He says there's 5,000 in there? Yeah, where is that supposed to be at? I guess in a safe or something. Okay. And then what? What's your next thing? You say you kind of look around. Where do you go? I kind of uh, drive around, you know, see where to go, where to park the car. How do you get in? And do you go in the back door? Mm-hmm. Who goes in? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, me. Duck goes in and then you? Mm -hmm. Where is your gun at when you go in? Uh, I got a trench coat from the inside. Okay. You have a trench coat? Mm -hmm. So you have your shotgun? Yeah. Is that what you have? Mm -hmm. In the side? Mm -hmm. And you indicated that it's in your right side? Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay. Is, tell me about the shotgun. Is the mm -hmm. shotgun loaded? Uh, yep. How many rounds do you have in it? What happens when you go in? Took out my shotgun and aim at them. You took out your shotgun and aimed at them? Yeah. What does the lady do? Uh, to us on the ground. She was on the ground? Yeah, because I am the guy and I said, you don't get down. Do you knock her down or does she get down? Uh, she just got down. She just got down. Yeah. What happens to her when she's down? Uh, I tied her up. Oh, how did you tie her up? Uh, from her foot. And then Where's the shotgun when, you, when you're telling her all this? Uh, holding it. Where at? My hand. Uh, so you're back. the leader. Yeah. That's what you said. Yeah. Alvaro taunted Peggy, telling her she was about to go with God as she was praying. When you were tying up the lady, mm -hmm. okay, and she was praying, and yeah. you said to yourself, that's good because mm -hmm. she's going to go to God now. Mm -hmm. Why? I, I don't understand. Why did you want to have her go to God now at that point? Why did you want her to go? To us, to us, kind of mean. Who was she mean to? Uh, okay. Yes, I was scared, but the girl told me about it, that you know, she's kind of mean. You went in there, no one thinking that she, did you know that lady before that? Or met her before that? I uh, know. Okay, so the only thing you knew about her is what Doc told you, correct? Doc told me that she was mean. It's difficult to understand Alvaro at times, but you are about to hear Detective Dreer repeat exactly what he was saying during an unexpected confession of greater magnitude. Why did you kill him? Because I already got what I want. Because I need the money. And you're nice to them until they give you the money. Because you're just told them all I need the money. How many times have you killed me? A lot of times, but I only confess when I get caught on. So you have killed people before? More than one? We're talking more than five. In the United States or in, in the Philippines? He got sick when these people were killed. Yeah, because he said I did really bad. He said I kind of just left. So. Okay, yeah, just so I understand what you're mm -hmm. saying, you're okay. You have killed before the U-Haul. Is that correct? Did you plan on killing her when you went in? Yeah. And yeah. 
Okay, how about the man? Are you planning on killing the man too? Uh, well, I have to kill everyone. Yeah. Okay, that's your style, though, right? That's just the way you are. You tied up the lady first. Oh, uh, okay. Of course, I did a hammer with the guy and then put the hammer down and got a big crowbar and I put it to the center of the ladies and got the crowbar and in the last part I hit them with a hammer. How many times did you strike the man with the crowbar? About maybe 10 like that. The man? Yeah. Because the hammer did about, yeah, somewhere around 10. Who tied up the man? I did. Alvaro often bragged about killing others but never revealed more. Detective Ron Dreer had to gauge if the 20-year-old sitting across from him was in fact a serial killer. Dreer remembers every moment of that day, sitting across from him in 1994. As he walks us through this incident and you look at him and you see how he's very honest about what he does and it's almost like he's bragging about what he does. We have to draw it out of him, some of the things, but when he gets into the crux of what he does, he's very open uh, about what he's done in the starting with, of, of all things, you know, uh, he starts with um, Keith, and after he gets the ball-peen hammer, he gets the crowbar, uh, he then begins to hit Keith in the head with a hammer. He describes it as being in excess of 10 times, and he, at that point, is walking us through, and he's being, matter of fact, this is what I did, blah, blah, blah. And then he takes the crowbar, and he he sticks Keith in the head multiple times to the point where he's asked, well, did you feel it? Was it heavy? Uh, was the crowbar heavy? No, it's not heavy. I worked out before I went there, you know. So he's all fresh and ready to do his dastardly deed. And he then is kind of like enjoying the fact, or at least and his description so monotonous, he describes what he's doing. Uh, we go over the fact of whether or not he had any alcohol, any drugs, anything. And he says, absolutely not. He doesn't want to do any of that when he's going to do something like that because he wants to have his mind straight. He wants to know what he's doing. Who take her mouth? I did. So you tied her up and then you take her mouth? Mm-hmm. Okay. And did you say anything to them? You hit her with a hammer first? Mm-hmm. Okay, and then you hit it with the crowbar. Yeah. And then you say you left the crowbar in her head. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I did everything for the mother back and I shoved down and I walked out. You walked out where? The car. How did you get to the back door? She lost from there, so I walked out and went out. Where did you go? Who was in the car? Oh, well, that was in the radio. He was in the car already? Did you know this man before? Like people before, you know. 
Alvaro made Peggy watch him torture and kill Keith. After murdering her, they went directly to a casino to exchange the stolen cash taken from U-Haul. Alvaro never washed up after. He carried on with blood on him. Where do you go? You got all this money. I will change it. Casino. Well, there was a lot of dollar, you know, I bring it, so we have to take all those, get a silver, and, you know, that token, and change it for a big bill. So what you did is you took the money that you had, the cash, you went to a casino, you yeah. changed it in for coins, for the tokens, and then you gave him all the money. All two thousand dollars is what you say. Mm-hmm. Was that how much was there? Yeah. Who counted the money? Did you keep the fifty? Is this the worst you ever killed? No. How would you? How would you describe? Yes, I don't kill that time. But this time it's really bad. We fast. I have no time. Okay, so mm-hmm. if if it wouldn't have been that you ran out of time, it would have taken longer to torture them. No. Play with the body. Did you like how he was? Yeah. You know, because uh, I mean, he thought he was in the army, then, you know, because he was good in there. But then, when I started doing crime, kind of scared, you know, I was like nervous. Now I'm scared. Sounds like you were the leader. You took command. Yeah, because, uh, yeah. Sounds like you looked up the duck before the U-Haul. And so I, uh, so I changed my weight. Okay, so you right now, you figured you changed your weight. Mm-hmm. Okay, what do you think should happen to you? I just kind of leave everything to that, so whatever happened, it'll happen, but I don't think about it. If I go with someone, they said, do this, and you know, they go like, but see, I love people of my friends, then I do. So you did all that because he was your friend? Yes, I do it because he's sending his money. During the interview, Alvaro never once implicated Duck. He refused to discuss the role Duck played in the murders, only what he did. Yet he told Dreer at one point in the night at the U-Haul store he considered killing Duck, disappointed that his older and wiser brother-in-law didn't help him. He said for a former military guy who served in Vietnam, Duck was a coward. Listen to Dreer tell Duck what Alvaro said about him. Alvaro is referred to as Barry, just one of the many American nicknames he used. Barry said that you were a coward. He said it? Yeah. They thought about killing you. You're a coward. Alvaro Colombo seemed to be the one who would actually execute the plan. I believe that Alvaro Colombo uh, uh, inflicted most of the injuries. And then after his arrest, Alvaro was uh, very content to say, hey, whatever Duck says is what I'm going to go with. I, I really don't have anything of my own to share with that other than to say whatever Duck says is, is what I say. So I, I think uh, to the extent that we can know, Duck was the, the planner. Uh, certainly, Duck was the offended party uh, whose anger uh, festered and led to this initial robbery as a means to get even with um, with Peggy, the victim, uh, over the incident that had resulted in him getting fired. Uh, and uh, Alvaro was... Uh, very, very eager to follow him and certainly was the one to execute most of the weapons. Alvaro, who is notably a violent gang member at 20 years old, grew rapid loyalty to Doc because of his sister Maria, the father of her son and the one who tried to make her happy. 
Alvaro killed for him because of his loyalty to family. Being from another country, Alvaro needed to belong to something. Coming up on part six of The Miscreants, Maria, afraid of going to prison, starts to talk. But will she be implicated in her husband and brother's crimes? And then a spine-chilling discovery so tragic, it has blanketed a weight of darkness on all those who witnessed it. We go over there, they knock on the door, no one answers, and then the detectives, um, and there were three or four of them, along with my investigator and myself, enter the trailer and we were not, or I certainly uh, was not expecting to see what we found when we went into the trailer. 